the stress of not knowing like when you're gonna get that comment about your weight or your body by strangers or more often by family members, quote unquote, well-meaning, often disguised in like this, we're worried about your health. The reality is, is you can't tell what someone's health is by looking at them. You just can't. And this notion that you equate health to weight is just not accurate. This is Pros Talk Pregnancy, the no BS show that's not afraid to get real about all things pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and beyond. I'm talking with visionaries and game changers who are challenging the status quo and changing the world one pregnancy and one birth at a time. I'm Lindsay McCoy, mom of four, lover of the mountains, seeker of knowledge, exercise physiologist, birth doula, and childbirth educator. Basically, I'm an all-around pregnancy and birth nerd. My passion is making pregnancy, childbirth, and recovery better and empowering professionals and families alike. Are you ready? Let's go. Why, hello, my amazing friend, and thank you for being with me today. I am so grateful to have you here. Today's topic is all about fat phobia in maternal health care. Now, we know that there's fat phobia in our society as a whole, and we address and we touch that issue as well. But what's going on in maternal health care? You know, at a time when people are gaining weight and are often maybe told by their providers if there's an issue, oh, it's just because of your weight or, oh, you just need to lose weight or don't gain too much weight. So being pregnant can be really triggering for someone who is living in a larger body. You know, maybe they're risked out of water birth because of their size or they're risked out of midwifery care. Is this evidence-based? Is this an issue? And what is the background? Why did we and why do we live in a society that is so fearful of larger bodies, that's so sure that the epitome of health is a smaller body? You know, what does the research actually say regarding this? And so I brought on an expert, Brooke Padmore, and we had a really amazing talk. It was really revealing to me as someone living in a smaller body. Some of these topics I didn't even realize, I wasn't even aware of. And so I'm really grateful to Brooke. And I invite all of you, no matter what size body you live in, to please listen to this episode. If you work with folks in maternal care, you need to learn this topic. Brooke Patmore, pronouns they, them, is a full-time, full-spectrum birth worker, childbirth educator, group facilitator, and co-founder of the Born Collective, working in the occupied Ohlone territory, otherwise known as the San Francisco Bay Area. As a white, queer, fat, neurodivergent, non-binary person themselves, Brooke is dedicated to offering inclusive care with a trauma-informed, anti-racist, and social justice framework. They support people in all bodies, all identities, and different family structures through all birth outcomes, including abortion, miscarriage, and stillbirth. Thanks for coming on the show. I'm so happy to have you with us. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, so I, I like to start these episodes because I, you know, we have a lot of different birth professionals listening, birthing folks, pregnant folks. I love to hear, like, how did you get to do the work you do today? Like, tell me your tale, so to speak. Um, that's a great question. And first, I just want to apologize for my cat, Dolly Parton. Uh, <laughs> she seems to be wanting to make herself known. So oh. <laughs> if you all hear that in the background, I apologize. I love it. Um, I have my dog hidden in a room. So we'll see. <laughs> yeah. I live in a really, t- I live in San Francisco, so I live in a pretty small space. There's yeah, not, I, can't, like, I get it. I so get it. Bar, but, um, uh, yeah, she's hopefully won't be doing that for very long. Anyway, um, yeah, how did I get started in this work? That is a great question. A very roundabout way. Back in, when I was in college, I thought I would go the nursing route and I kind of went down, um, pursuing becoming a nurse for a bit. And I just realized like working in the hospital, working in kind of 
within the bureaucracy of the medical mm. industrial complex, yeah. so to speak, was not going to work for me. Um, I have so much respect for medical professionals that do and nurses are incredible, but I just, it wasn't going to be a good fit. Um, but I've always been fascinated by the human body and just like, you know, ER was my favorite show growing up. I love <laughs> um, it. <laughs> and at the same time, I was learning a lot about like, I lived in a really like hippie town, um, and was learning a lot about like holistic care. And, um, anyway, a few years later, I kind of got introduced to the world of home birth midwifery, Mm -hmm. um, kind of on happenstance. I had a friend who was interested and invited me to a circle and then got pregnant herself. And we actually both started apprenticing this home birth midwife. And, um, I was just kind of curious about it, but once I, I attended my first birth with this midwife, which happened to be my friend's, uh, third kid, I was, I was done. I was Mm -hmm. like this, everything about this, you know, the nature of the relationship a midwife has with a birthing person. Um, yeah, the relational aspect of it to the like medical aspect to it. I was so in. So Mm -hmm. I thought for a long time I would go the midwifery route, but life is wild. And I ended up doing other things. I lived overseas for a bit, but birth was one of those things that kept coming back to me. So finally in 2016, I moved back to the States and I moved to San Francisco and a friend introduced me to like the world of doulas. And I was like, well, this might be a good way to kind of segue into the birth community, you know, in the Bay area and get, get, um, familiar with that realm. And I started working as a doula straight away. And I just realized, oh, I think I even like this role better. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Um, I'm with you. (laughs) Yeah. Like, yeah. So I just, ever since then, I haven't looked back. I started a collective with two other of my friends and Um, We really like to have kind of centered our practice around um, supporting queer and non-binary and trans birthing people and BIPOC folks. And that feels really awesome. Um, Kind of a lot of people, people in larger bodies, people that are kind of on the margins when it comes to um, the birth world that aren't always seen in, in the central spaces like birth classes and stuff. So Um, that's been really cool. That's really cool. And you know, those are the populations that tend to have poor outcomes, right? Because they're not getting the support that they deserve. So I think that's just a great segue, perfect segue, in fact, on what we're really talking about today, which is birthing in a larger body. There are a lot of misconceptions out there. I'm sure you're going to tell us all of them. You know, there's a lot of stigma I think there's a lot of stigma as just in our world being in a larger body. And I'm sure it's, it's only magnified with going through this childbearing year, you know, they weigh you at every appointment that can also just be a trigger for some people. So what are, let's just start by, I'm sure you could talk forever about this. What are some ways that, what are some barriers that people birthing in larger bodies face today? Um, that's great question. (laughs) Um, and yeah, I could talk about this for a long time. You know, I think weight is one of those things, um, being overweight, people may say the word obese, overweight, um, you know, just a lot of people who are in larger bodies find those words a little offensive. They've been really medicalized. Um, but you know, it's one of those things where it's still kosher in our society to openly mock or put down. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like socially okay to, um, it, it's still very much looked at as like this personal responsibility thing as opposed to a systemic issue. Yeah. Right. Um, and I think that even it, it's in, incredible, like the amount of weight stigma that has, um, infiltrated like our medical system and our culture uh it really puts the onus on the individual 
And so even people in larger bodies have so much internalized fat phobia that they also like believe they should be treated like shit. Mm-hmm. Aww, <laughs> so, yeah. um, you know, <laughs> there's everything from like the, the stress of not knowing like when you're going to get that comment about your weight or your body by strangers or more often by family members, um, quote unquote, well-meaning like, oh, we're worried about your, like often disguised and like this, we're worried about your health. Um, but the reality is, is like, you can't tell what someone's health is by the size, by looking at them. You just can't. Um, and this notion that you equate health to weight is, um, is just not accurate. Um, and it's not true. And, you know, so there's this element of, of folks in larger bodies having to like be out in the world and are kind of like low key, always on a stress response. Mm -hmm. Like, where am I going to get it? Like, who's going to make a comment or what are people thinking about me if I'm eating to Mm -hmm. like, am I going to fit in this chair? If people invite me to dinner, like, am I going to be able to, are there going to be, um, uh, arm rests on the chair that like inhibit me or make me be uncomfortable. Um, oftentimes things like travel or like flying and are like incredibly stressful for people in larger bodies where they, um, are often like, yeah, uh, really accosted, (laughs) um, if not just like not accommodated for, um, And I think specifically when it comes, you know, to pregnancy and health, one of the biggest things is um, we're often not listened to at the doctors, right? So when we we go into a doctor and say, I have strep throat, the first thing they want to tell me is I need to lose weight. Okay. Um, well, <laughs> that's not going to help me with my strep throat. Right. right? Oh my um, gosh. And, a, and a lot of things that we see with folks in larger bodies are, um, there's a lot of things that go misdiagnosed for a really long time, like cancer, because, uh, providers are only seeing their weight and only prescribing them weight loss which is ironic because we know statistically how difficult weight loss actually is and how diets have a 95% fail rate. Um, you know, what other case are, are providers uh, prescribing people uh, something that has a 95% right. fail rate, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> It's kind of bananas. So I think um, specifically when Oftentimes when people are in larger bodies, they avoid going to the doctor. And so when you're pregnant and you're at a time where you're really like excited about, you know, carrying new life, having a baby, bringing a baby into the world, you're forced to seek medical attention and you want to, because that's the right thing to do. But there's so much anxiety around that. And you're really like, is my doctor going to treat me with any kind of dignity? Are they going to assume a lot of times people um, that are pregnant in larger bodies get asked to taste the the gestational diabetes test more than once. Um, And so like, for example, they pass it fine the first time and then they're still not believed. And so they're, they have to take it again. Um, they're just assumed that they're going to be high risk. Some providers won't even um, support them. Like weight, BMI alone, which BMI is kind of a sham in and of itself and a Read. racist model, <laughs> yes. um, but we can get into that later. Yes. But, um, being discarded for, or being um, prescribed as a high, high risk pregnancy based on BMI alone is not evidence-based right? Like weight and size is just one data point. And, um, so I've had, I've had clients who were like wanting to give birth at home, um, and had midwives be like, well, we can't because you're high risk. And the only basis was their BMI, you know? Mm. Yeah. And, and I think another thing when it comes specifically to pregnancy is like birthing people in, in, um, larger bodies, aren't celebrated the way their thin counterparts are. 
when, as their belly is growing or so to speak, you might not see the changes as much as someone who is in a smaller body, but regardless, like there's not this adoration, right. That, that other people get when they're in like a straight size or, or, um, a smaller body that that's pregnant. Right. I think that has Um, to do with like thin privilege, right? I know I have Mm -hmm. thin, I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm in a smaller body just genetically, you know, I was just born in a smaller body genetically. Some people are born with larger bodies and it's kind of bananas to me that we're just, I mean, it's not because we live in this society that has these weird perceptions of beauty, but it's just, Mm -hmm. It's something that I, I'm really glad we're talking about it because it's not my lived experience. And I think it's so important for us as birth professionals, supporting variety of type of people to just like, look, take a look at and start to be aware of these real lived experiences. Like you said, I just got back from travel and, you know, it didn't even cross my mind to have to worry about fitting in the chair or to -hmm. have to worry about not being accommodated, you know, and the thing you said about, you know, I was, I, when you talked about, you know, being celebrated differently, that really resonated to me. Like I want, we need to have more, we need to show more diversity in a lot of ways, but diversity of size of pregnant bodies needs to be shown. Mm -hmm. Right. I just don't think, you know, if you're a birth professional, what, what's on your website? Are you, are you have a bunch of thin white women (laughs) or, or or what else, what is there? Because if that's what you have, then that's, you're, you're saying something. That's huge. That's such a big deal. You know, I think people, um, that come from a multitude of marginalized identities are are always seeking like, where is a safe space? Where would be an okay space for me? And specifically, um, with people in larger bodies like I know personally like I've had a lot of really terrible experiences with like massage or mm. um you know different per- medical providers or or even like things that you would think would be really like self-care or whatnot and um so I purposely seek out like like yeah, it does it say somewhere on their form that they like work with all bodies <laughs> or yeah. you know likewise like being a non-binary individual like yeah are they going to just you know misgender me and like right. um yeah so i think representation and really being explicit on like websites is a really big deal and beyond that though making sure that you're not just putting it on your website that like hey i work with like queer folks or BIPOC folks or fat folks um, without like having the education behind it. Right. Yes, like, you thank make you. Sure <laughs> <laughs> like I'm for you, but not, not really just, like, advertising it to get like your niche clients, but that you really understand the systemic issues. You really understand the oppression that people deal with on a day-to-day basis. So you can advocate for them with them um, even teach them, give them tools to help them advocate for themselves. Right. Right. You know, locally, I, I know, you know, we have a local, um, Facebook group for doulas in my community and, you know, people, I love that we have that resource and someone will be like, what are the providers that you recommend that are, mm. you know, are safe for this community who allow, you know, cause, cause here there's certain places where you're not allowed a water birth after a certain BMI, you know, mm. there's like what? all these restrictions. Yeah. I don't know. That you should, you bananas. let's talk about it. What, what do you think? The evidence let's, to that? Yes. Let's talk about it. Cause you're the expert. Like let's talk. <laughs> I mean, I, so I work in the exercise world and of course the birth mm-hmm. world. And I know that BMI is total BS. <laughs> and yeah. I want to hear from you. Like, let's talk the evidence. Like what is BMI for those who yeah, don't know? I and would, what, I love this. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah. So first of all, the BMI was this measure that was created, um, by this white dude in Europe. I forget what country. Um, but basically like 
not a doctor. He was a mathematician mm. and um, a scientist and was basically explicitly when he came up with this um, with this way to measure, it's it's like an equation, right? To measure your basically your height versus your weight and you know what the average is. And that average was based on a white man mm-hmm. and um and at that time period. And then like over then equated to the entire population. And um so it doesn't account for folks that come from other cultures um that have vastly different makeups body makeups for example like um black women often have higher um health like better health outcomes at a higher bmi Mm -hmm. um and oh the other thing that makes it like kind of not helpful in terms of he actually said when he created the BMI that this should not be used to like measure health um, because it's not equating, it's not accounting for like bone density. It's not accounting for um, a lot of other things. Um, yeah, muscle mass, right? Yeah. There's people right. who are like hardcore power lifters who are considered obese because of their exactly. BMI football players. There's many obese in quotation marks, football players. Exactly. And it's kind of this arbitrary scale. Um, you know, in 1995, the who decided to use the BMI as the new global standard for measuring overweight and obesity with a lot of pushback actually Mm. from medical providers. Um, and they even started using the BMI, uh, to extend to children, which was very controversial because the way that children often grow is kind of like out and then up. That's true. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it really fluctuates. Um, But one of the things that kind of shows us how arbitrary the scale is, is that like randomly in 1998, the National Institute of Health lowered the overweight threshold from, I think it was 27.8 to 25. So all of a sudden overnight, roughly 29 million Americans were considered fat now or obese. And this is kind of around the same time as the America was declaring war on obesity. And there's so much to it, but basically the scale uh, using BMI should not be used to measure the amount of fat on the body, because like you're saying, it's not accounting for bone density and it's not accounting for muscle mass either. So like the one, yeah, like you're saying weightlifters, one of the biggest things is like the rock, right. Would be considered morbidly obese. Yeah. Um, absolutely. And so we can't, it's, it's not a good measure. It's certainly not a good measure of fat on the body and it's not a good measure of health. Right. Right. Um, So it is not, so, so is there any time, like, what do you see? Are there any things you think someone in a larger body should not do or do differently, you know, like we have all these different restrictions or is it just like the same, like small body? Yeah. I think the thing is, is it's like, um, you know, like for example, going back to, um, pregnant people, um, uh, getting healthcare in their pregnancy that are in a larger body, like, why are we not just measuring all the same data points for health that we would anybody, which is like your weight is just one data point. And it's actually not the thing, you know, I did some research and I found out that the first time that they started implementing, um, measuring weight was, uh, for pregnancy was actually, um, in the forties during, after the, during the war and the, the great depression, like the thirties, forties. And uh, what they were actually measuring for was, was that people weren't losing too much weight because Mm -hmm. that actually becomes way more dangerous than than not like gaining. Yeah. You're celebrated for losing weight. Yeah. I was actually quite sick. Um, a couple of years ago, very much, you know, 2020 stress related, my dad died, et cetera. And I was losing weight. Oh, thank you. I was, but I was, I was losing weight and like for people are like, people celebrate that. It's, it's, you. 
not it always so, a good thing. It was, no, I was at my, often, yeah. sorry, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going <laughs> to, oh, it's all good. We're just like excited. It was, yeah. it was um, like at my lowest of health was also my mm. lowest of weight. And it doesn't always go that way, but I just think we need to, we need to stop but actually thinking. more, more often it does. Yeah. Right. When people naturally lose weight without like their efforts, it's normally because they're unwell yeah. or under yeah. an immense amount of stress. That is, um, evidence like they, there's studies to show that to be true. Right. Um, and so what happens, the thing is, is fat phobia, the fear of fat in our society affects all of us negatively. It's just like the patriarchy, right? Like Mm. it also, the patriarchy negatively affects men just as much as it does women. Well, maybe just as much. Okay. Maybe not as much as women, but, um, or non-binary people, but trans people, but, uh, yeah, fat phobia in the same, it's like detrimental to all of us because, the reality is like our weight throughout our lives is going to fluctuate and it's going to go up and down. And if we really left well enough alone, like our bodies tend to settle at a set point. And what happens is that we are told to, um, if we get like a little bit above what society deems is acceptable, which is totally, again, arbitrary and just like, it's actually has a lot of racist roots, um, which I could get into later, but, um, we're trying to, people are told to restrict calories, but then what happens with basically going on these diets that are incredibly restrictive is the body is biologically wanting to override and get back to that set weight. So what we see happening is that people get into this like yo-yo dieting cycle Mm -hmm and they wait cycle where they go on the diet, they lose a bunch of weight, but then their bodies eventually gain all the weight back and oftentimes more. And then their set point gets higher and higher. And so it's then becomes even harder to go under that. So, um, I'm, I'm kind of like going on a tangent here, but coming back to like what you're saying, like when you were unwell, the assumption that people want to praise people for weight loss is actually really harmful because what you're saying is like, oftentimes people are like, Oh, thanks for they're getting praised when they're like, you know, going through cancer treatment and they're like dying. (laughs) And it's like, Oh, that's actually not like a good thing. And it's like, um, we're getting praised when we're like, like starving our bodies and harming ourselves. It affects everybody negatively. This episode is brought to you by the Body Ready Method, our game-changing, interactive, fully online course for perinatal and birth professionals who want to elevate the way they serve their clients. We teach you how to help your clients prepare their body for a more functional pregnancy and a more efficient birth. And we teach you what to do when during birth through the lens of birth physiology and biomechanics. Gain the confidence and the new skills that you need to support your clients even better. You can now sign up for the next cohort of the training. Visit BodyReadyMethod.com to learn more. Yeah. You know what? I was was thinking when you were talking about um, just the stress of just going into the world you know, like one, you know, we talked about mm-hmm. flying and you talked about, you know, eating in public, for example, like I've never thought of, mm-hmm. I've never had to worry about like scarfing down a cheeseburger in public. And some people do have to worry about that. And then I think, you know, the stress, how being under that low level of stress at all times, or having to just think about something as arbitrary as your weight, which, you know, it's not arbitrary in our society, but we've made it this big thing, just how those stress hormones I've been reading, you know, based on what happened to me in 2020, I've been really researching just stress physiology and how that impacts our health. So it's like, absolutely, it's like this perpetual thing, you know, that this is one of the reasons why BIPOC population has, you know, higher levels of poor outcomes, this low level of stress they have to carry with them at all times. And I'm thinking, wow, this is really 
a lot of that is very similar for someone in a larger body, right? They're just like absolutely perpetually in that fight or flight, like mode, which we know, you know, causes a lot of health issues. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Like light bulbs are like out of control, which also is going to affect our health outcomes. Right. Like, yeah, like you said, we see this, especially in black and brown bodies where their rates of um, like black people are have a higher uh, likelihood of getting diabetes at the same weight as their white counterparts. Um, You know, there's like you have higher rates of heart disease. And that's the other part of when we get into the obesity epidemic and a lot of the medical stigmatization, stigmatization of weight, those things are not accounted for. And that's, that's part of the flaw in all this research, right? That deems, um, fat being just equating to bad and equating to bad health. Um, no, it's being fat in our society that is giving you all of this stress, right. Is making you be in this state at all times. That's what's, and then they take it and they say, oh, it's cause you're fat. It's not cause you're fat. It's because you're dealing with being how you are in this society. (laughs) And not only that, it's like, you're told, oh, this is because you're fat. So go lose weight as if it's this easy thing, but you're lazy. You must be lazy. That it's actually incredibly hard to lose weight and keep it like sustainably. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. my options are really coming down to, it's like that they flippantly want to tell me we'll just get gastric bypass surgery. So now my option is to cut half of my perfectly functioning, healthy Mm -hmm. organ in half and be, uh, nutrient deficient the rest of my life with only a 50% success rate. Wow. <laughs> and that is, that is often, um, uh, like I am, I'm offered that in a sense of like, what, like, obviously you should do this on a really consistent basis wow. by medical providers. And it's like, this is like, like, I get that that's a choice that some people make. And I totally understand that. Um, but like, don't treat it as this flippant thing that is an obvious choice to make. Right. We'll solve all Um, your problems. Yeah. (laughs) And it's like, again, like there's only a 50% chance that works, but I think, yeah, there's this other aspect where kind of coming back to even what you were saying about the compliments for weight loss is that why in our, like one of the real systemic issues I think is that we think it's okay to comment and police other people's bodies. And that is just not helpful. If we and especially all in pregnancy, less- right? Mm-hmm. Pregnancy, it's exactly. like magnified. Yeah, and postpartum. Again, talking about how fat phobia mm. is harmful for all of us. I think all birthing people go through a lot of um, body dysmorphia after they give birth. Agreed. For a lot of folks, that's the first time their body has changed that significantly and in such a short period of time. And while it's natural and honestly beautiful that their bodies Mm. just did this huge thing of growing a human being, um, they're met with so much bullshit on the other side of that with how they're not bouncing back, quote unquote, into what, right? Like, um, or getting your your body body back. Right. That's the other yeah. one. It's like, get your body. You're like, I still have my body. It's right here. Yeah. You didn't, you didn't lose <laughs> you your body. Away. Your body actually is evolving and transforming and like incredible, like doing this incredible thing. Um, and it, it requires like a whole nother level of love and compassion. And mm. Yeah. It's just bananas. So I think specifically with people in larger bodies, something that they face, it's one of the most harmful things is being policed, not just by society and strangers, which does happen, um, but by their family members and friends, right? And like, they, like, it's one thing for kids, especially kids that grow up in larger bodies, you know, it's one thing that they get bullied at home, at school, 
you know, but it's then they come back home and they get it reinforced. Right. And that's, that's where like the eating disorders start. That's where really harmful behavior comes. So, you know, you mentioned a few things about, um, your experience and recognizing kind of your thin privilege, Mm -hmm. which I really appreciate. And I think one thing that people who haven't had to deal with, um, their body size or have had healthy relationships to food their whole lives take for granted or like you don't realize is that or or let me put it this way one thing I realized as someone who had a lifetime of disordered eating and eating disorders and you know weight issues when I was 30 years old I I finally was introduced to the reality that like um people who have healthy relationships to food don't think about it they, yeah. they eat when they're hungry and they stop when they're full. They listen to their body. They were taught and honored to listen to your cues of your own body your whole life. Mm-hmm. And um, I was taught not to. I was taught to negate those signals. Oh, you're feeling hungry. You should be, you know, oh, you should always be feeling this. And it's like that really wreaks havoc oh, on our and does so much harm to our bodies. Oh, and it makes my heart hurt. Ironic. Yeah. <laughs> the things that's a kid. Exactly. And so what's happening biologically is your body's like, you're not listening to me. We have to like, again, override these systems, override your restrictions. And I'm going to binge at the end of the day, you know, I'm going to overeat. And then like, again, it actually ironically causes those people to often like get bigger and bigger. It totally um, does. It, and, you know, I'm a, I'm a nerdy exercise physiologist and like, yes, I, I 100% agree. If you starved yourself, your body goes, okay, I don't know when I'm getting food again. So mm-hmm. I need to pack on something extra in order to like store for, you know, like for the winter, so to speak, you think like a bear going yeah, into hibernation. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we were designed so, for feast and famine. So we were designed, our bodies are biologically designed to hold on to weight. Exactly. Um, and in times of famine. You know, there's this reminds me of, you know, thinking about cultural. I love I love this conversation, by the way. Um, I I don't know how accurate this is or not, but I I heard a story a long time ago of, I think it was, it was a supermodel that was maybe married to like Leonardo DiCaprio, if you remember him (laughs) and they went over to a different culture. You know, she's like, like you think of like supermodels in like 1999. Yeah. I don't know who it was, but but they were like, they went to a different country and, and the, they were all I might be butchering this story, but if it's, if it's fake, whatever, it still gives the point of everyone was like, Oh, like they were trying to feed her. They were like, she's not healthy. Like her fertility, you know, there like a larger body was a sign of fertility and abundance, you know, and having enough to eat and being as thin as she was, was seen as not that. Absolutely. Like, uh, um, it's a cultural ideal. Like it's totally made up, right? Like what's mm-hmm. attractive and what's not attractive. And that's where we actually find that the, the roots of fat phobia are actually Sabrina Strings, um, who wrote the book, The Origins of Fat Phobia. Oh, we'll I'm put it in the show notes. It. We'll find it. Yeah, 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 yeah. But basically um, the roots of fat phobia being rooted in anti-Blackness. But she was quoted saying fat phobia is not based on health concerns. What I found in my research is that in the West, it's actually rooted in the transatlantic slave trade and Protestantism. Oh my God. Protestantism. (laughs) 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 Religious, like Christianity. Um, And so what we see is that like back in the, the day, like in the Renaissance era, for example, um, the bodies that you saw celebrated were actually more voluptuous, more mm-hmm. like, especially the female body, right? Um, that was idolized and looked up to was more voluptuous and curvy because that was a sign of wealth, right? right. That meant yeah. you weren't working all day long in the field. That meant you were like well fed and 
you know, probably living a pretty nice life. And you don't see a shift in that until the transatlantic slave trade was actually introduced in Europe, where then you were seeing um, they needed to to separate themselves from black bodies that were more voluptuous and and celebrated for Mm -hmm. their um, their size to say that um, and you head into like the Victorian area where it was like all about cinching their waist right, and, yeah. and and it was also this correlation to religious purity um, and you see this also like I love talking about um, the intersections of like purity culture and weight as well because you see a lot of actually the first starts of diet culture uh, through purity culture in specifically like white Christianity colonization. Um, yeah, like one of my, I don't know if you've ever heard about this before, but Sylvester Graham, he was known, um, for inventing that what we know now is the Graham cracker. Oh, well, interesting. Was, yeah. He was a <laughs> priest back in the day who oh. was actually like incredibly anti-masturbation and like never heard of him and and yeah he was like basically like if you can't control your like desires then you should like cut your genitals off he was very extreme wow Um, but (laughs) part of his way of like his teaching was that like in order like to not to keep yourself from indulging from like this pleasure is you um akin to sexual pleasure is to stay away from like pleasure you get from eating so like only eat very bland foods Mm. and it was kind of like one of the first like diets that were put out there to like establish quote-unquote purity like basically Um, equal no no fun and no happiness allowed bland food and like what (laughs) no sex again I think it was really rooted too to say like we're this we're different than our black brown Mm. counterparts were were better were the you know the more that that's where you get this different beauty standard right right Um, yeah so it's so it doesn't mean anything about your health necessarily it is arbitrary beauty standards are arbitrary like we're all like I am never going to my size this is just the size I am regardless of how how I eat this. I'm like basically kind of leveled out. This is my size. This is my bone shape. You know, this is my, I have a thin frame. Some people have a large frame and it's easy for me to say, can't we just accept everyone? Because again, I have thin privilege and I don't have to struggle in the world. So what are some ways I like to talk like tangible ways. I know it's like this big, huge issue, but what are some ways that we can as birth professionals bringing it back to like birth, what are some ways that we can support our clients, like truly support our larger body clients? Like what are like, like prenatal prep or birth support? No, totally. I love to talk about this. Um, yeah, there's some really practical things you can do. We already named one of them you mentioned earlier, and that is doing the work, especially if you are someone with thin privilege or, um, and like we call them like straight size folks. Um, uh, you can uh, call around to your providers in your area, your midwives. And that's something I've done for clients in the past. Like I mentioned, I interviewed with someone who had, er- who said they had already been um, rejected by a couple of midwives just based on their BMI mm-hmm. alone. And I was like, that's bullshit. You don't need yeah. to do the work of like calling and getting that kind of rejection let us go and scope and give you like a list of midwives who we already know, like, are, that's not going to be an issue for them. Right. And so that's something you can do is like find providers there. There's a, basically, um, a premise called health at every size. Mm -hmm. Um, this concept that's basically, yeah, like you can be healthy at every, any size. Um, and so providers that are familiar with that foundation and that framework that understand that kind of set point theory I was talking about Mm. that understand that, like, when I'm working with a client to working with a patient to get healthy, like 
we don't have to focus on weight loss. There's so many other things you can focus on, right? Um, so finding providers that are, are health at every size to, um, to offer for your clients. Um, another thing is like, uh, really investigating again, your own internal fat phobia, a Harvard study found that 80% of people hold anti-fat bias. And so I think that's a really first step for you. Um, to encounter, like, what do I really think? What are the the biases I'm like not even thinking through when I see someone in a larger size? What are the assumptions I'm making? You know, kind of like sit with that yourself. Even if you yourself are in a larger body, there's a lot to unpack there. Another thing is uh, helping clients know that there's some things that might be harder for them. For example, in the hospital, a lot of the monitors mm-hmm. don't work as well. External Good monitors um, on bigger bellies. They're just a terrible design all around, actually. Like, yeah. let's talk about that. <laughs> um, right, yeah. But there's some newer monitors. I don't know if you're familiar with like the Monica monitor. Yeah. Does that um, work well in larger bodies? I f- it does I feel work like so- better. It works a lot better on larger oh. bodies. In fact, some hospitals around here that I know, like they'll, they'll specifically save them for people who are in larger bodies. Cause it's like, you know, easier works better for them, which I appreciate. Um, That's good to know because sometimes when I have people use them, it's super hit or miss. Like it'll, it works great fair. for some, but maybe that's just, it's a new technology, but you say it's, it's better. No, yeah. You know, it's better than that strap that goes around, you know, the monitor yes, strap. Yeah. Cause those straps are so uncomfortable for like everybody. And just the, those flat round discs on all pregnant bellies are just, you, you know, not yeah, but when it's in digging general. in, if it's like too tight or something, <laughs> oh, yeah. nobody, like, I don't like anyone touching my belly. And when you're having a contraction, you really don't want something oh God, squeezing your belly even not. more. <laughs> right. Oh, that's yeah. Really... Another thing you can advocate for, or um, talk to them about advocating for themselves is uh, having intermittent monitoring and ha- asking mm-hmm. them to use a Doppler, a yes. handheld Doppler, which, you know, I found in different hospitals, different nurses are like super down and other nurses are really anti because they're not as well trained. Right. But agreed. I pushed for it. Like find that nurse that can do it. Like you're, you know, I like to encourage all my clients, like, especially when they're entering our like medical industrial complex healthcare, blah, that they're the customer, (laughs) you know? So take up space. Yeah. Take up Um, space, like own your power. Like I, like you said, all the internalized, like stuff that people have taken on from medical providers, probably their whole life. They're trying to be a good patient and not make waves. Like, no, like make waves. Absolutely. One of the biggest things that you can coach your clients on is that they can, they don't have to be weighed at their Mm -hmm. appointments. Yeah. That that is, um, again, like I mentioned, the weight is, is just one data point and it's fairly arbitrary unless you're at risk for losing too much weight. For example, if you have like HG, um, I'm going to butcher how to say that. Hi. Um, hyperemesis. Is that how you say Yeah. Like where your, your, um, uh, the nausea, through pregnancy is so extreme that you can't like a lot of folks have that nausea in first trimester. And then that extends to, um, hyper grav, Wait, I know these words, man. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I need to do a whole episode on that. That's a really, it is a big concern when you're losing lots of weight. I know, I think there's are they sometimes look for like, a huge spike. Like if somebody had a lot of swelling, but I, you would see that right. clearly in a body. It, like you can tell when you're swelled not, up. Yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, let's talk about that. Like what they're looking for. Um, you know, one of the, the reasons that prenatal care, the main reason prenatal care was established in the first place was solely to look for preeclampsia, mm. which is a legit and like, yeah thing to monitor for right and yeah for sure like that's not something we want to mess around with but the main factors that you're looking for are like your blood pressure 
high proteins in urine, like yep. these blood analysis things. Um, it's if you're swelling, which you could see visibly yeah. and you know, like, again, it's not based on your weight, right? There's all these other things to monitor in pregnancy that are going to give a better idea of where the health lies, you know, monitoring your blood sugars. I think that's, I think more than taking that gestational diabetes test, people should just monitor their blood sugars. I agree. I think it's helpful. It's really helpful information. The majority of my clients that have had a gestational diabetes have been in small bodies. Yeah. It definitely Um, doesn't uh, choose. Diabetes does not choose the larger bodies necessarily. It really Mm. doesn't. And it's interesting that there's this equation to it because one of the countries of the highest type two diabetes rates in the world is India, which is not known for people with higher BMIs, but anyway, so that's, I think that's a really empowering step clients can often take to just say, Hey, no, I, um, I don't want my weight to be taken. Like, unless you can tell me specifically, like how knowing this number is going to affect my, you know, what you might suggest for me, I'd rather not the one case, like I've talked through clients where it might be necessary is, for medication purposes. Sure. But even that I've had clients who declined, you know, them taking their weight through their whole pregnancy and they ended up needing emergency anesthesia and it wasn't an issue, but I I mean, that's a fair thing to talk about with your doctor. Right. But like, maybe you don't need to know the number, like maybe they weigh you and that's another thing you don't find out. Yeah. You can ask not to know the number and you can ask your doctor, like, just not to address that, um, for you, like that you're, you're working with your own, you're working on your health and wellness and, um, outside of weight loss. And yeah. Um, another one for specifically like talking or prepping your clients for is making sure they, they know they can get like a yoga ball, yoga balls that are, um, hold their weight. Like there's different yoga balls that go up to a thousand pounds. Mm. And if they feel more comfortable, they can bring their own to wherever they're giving birth, you know, cause that's such a nice tool to use. And that's a birth. really good point. Yeah. I didn't even think about um, that again. I have work to do. I didn't even think about, Oh, some people might need a ball with yeah. a larger or, weight or limit. Duh. Or you don't know, or it's more like the thing, it's probably like most balls are going to be fine, yeah. but like, you're not sure. And you're not, you don't want to be, it's just like this other layer of things that you're, you, that you don't want to be thinking about when you're yeah. in labor, right? Yeah. You don't <laughs> want to be thinking about like, anything, right? Like you want exactly. to just keep flowing. Yeah. 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 And then I okay. think a huge thing too, is like going with and this may or may not be a appropriate place for you as a birth worker, but maybe more as like a supportive friend or family member going with or asking someone or having, if you are the pregnant person in a larger body, asking someone to go with you to an appointment when you're meeting a new provider, because mm-hmm. that can be really scary. Yeah. Um, and especially if you have someone Unfortunately, if you have someone in a smaller body to accompany with you, they're more likely to like listen to them. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like how sometimes a woman may bring a man with her because the man gets yeah, more exactly. listened to. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think that um, people can be really explicit about on their, um, for example, their birth vision or their birth plan or whatever, just saying like, like I, I prefer not to get weighed like things. So they don't have to keep reiterating it themselves and make sure that stuff is just like in their chart. So people, it, I do the same thing for my like trans non-binary clients. Like what can we put on paper to give to people? So you don't have to keep reiterating your pronouns. And that's again, another thing for doulas to advocate for is like just saying, yeah, like, please don't comment about, I don't know. Wait, yeah, whatever they want. Yeah, whatever it is they want. Yeah, it's like this is what we do as doulas. We are our one of our biggest goals is like making sure our clients' voice is heard and their what they want is respected, that they, you know, that they feel safe, right? Where they wherever they're giving birth. And they don't have to spiral. 
Yeah. And we, for people, if they're wanting to say, if they're saying explicitly like, okay, I really want to like have this healthy pregnancy. What are things I can do? Well, one of the biggest things we know is exercise is Mm -hmm. so helpful for people across the board. So a lot of people in larger bodies have a contentious relationship with their bodies in general and moving them and exercise. It's always been a form of punishment for them. Mm. So one of the things I like to talk to people about is like, what are ways to move their bodies that feel joyful and don't feel like punishment? Is it dancing? Is it swimming? Is it like being in nature and going on hikes where you're moving your body and not actually thinking about it? Um, Is it like going with friends on walks? So it's distracting, you know? Um, it's probably not going to be that hit workout with Julian, Mike, <laughs> Julian Michaels or whatever, who's fat phobic is. Sh- oh my sorry. gosh. Um, <laughs> but like, you know, there are ways to engage and there's groups and there's classes, yes. um, where it can be this form of celebration of your body. And, and so lastly, the thing I want to say is like, if you're someone who's supporting a pregnant person in a larger body or a postpartum is to really celebrate them Mm. and celebrate their bodies and offer like maybe give them the gift of like getting that pregnancy photo shoot that they wouldn't want before or that postpartum Mm. photo shoot you know like yeah show up in the pictures your your babies want to see you in the pictures right they want to see yeah them in your belly it's so beautiful Going back to one last thing I'll say, I'm so sorry. I've interrupted you so much. No, we can't see each other. So I feel like it's just how we, it's okay. It's all good. Yeah, I'm really sorry. But the photos are huge. And I think coming back to that piece of like, if you're working on, you know, kind of dismantling your own internalized fat phobia, one thing I found so helpful is starting to follow larger body folks on social media that really celebrate themselves it's actually it changes your brain Mm -hmm. yeah you have to see (laughs) it that's what it is yeah yeah. yes Um, that's so good yeah surrounding yourself to with photos of people in larger bodies that are looking fucking beautiful and gorgeous and um yeah that's so good. You know, I have to say, I want to, I want to touch on the exercise one. Cause you know, I, we do exercise, prenatal exercise is like our jam and I was very mindful. So oh, nice. all of our photo shoots, but you know, I, we, we had one, we just recently reshot a lot of our exercise videos and it was really important to me to find different abled folks different size folks, different Mm. ethnicity. Like Mm -hmm. it's not always easy. It was like like finding a bunch of models to do exercise in front of a camera, but it was really important for me to try to do my best. Like, and so, and and also not just different sizes, different ability levels too, because like you said, it shouldn't be a punishment. Exercise should not be like whip yourself into shape or like no pain, no gain. Like that is not what exercise is. And I, I want more people to feel like to enjoy to enjoy it yeah like, you want to walk away from working out feeling really good and yeah. like oh, I want to come back again exactly. and working on like mobility and I think that's a really huge thing too for um people like yourself to be aware of is really getting trained in like what are all the different modifications we can do for people in different bodies with different abilities, right? I think one thing, and I'm sure even with being familiar with a pregnant body, you're aware of, you know, how your belly gets in the way totally, of doing different movements. And that can be very true for people in larger bodies. So yeah. yeah. Well, okay. This, I feel like we could just go forever. I, you are such I a know. clear speaker and I love hearing all of this. I would, lo- I think people are going to be like, where are they? I need to, I need to connect. So I would love to hear just quickly where, if people want to connect with you, where should they go? Where are you hanging out online these days? Yeah. Um, so the main place probably to connect with me one-on-one is just my Instagram account which is the Dyke Doula. Um, I love it. All one word. Yeah. That we'll add it to the show notes. <laughs> so cute. I love and, it. Um, and then if you are 
local in the Bay Area, San Francisco, Oakland, and wanting some birth support, uh, looking up our website, The Born Collective. So our website is www.borncollectivesf.com. Perfect. We'll add that to the show notes as well. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Thank you so much, Brooke. This was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hope some points came across. I know it's a little, little bit muddled. I have a lot to say about this, but I so appreciate you having me on and yeah, having this conversation. I think it needs to be had a lot more. Yes. Let's just shout it from all the rooftops and, and spread the word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Thank you. Thank you for listening to Pros Talk Pregnancy. We are passionate about making the childbearing years better. And as professionals, when we work together, that is when we see the greatest shifts. Is there a topic that you would like for us to dig into with an amazing birth pro that you know? Or do you have a question around pregnancy, birth, or recovery that no one has quite yet been able to answer? We wanna bring you the topics that you want to know about. So please submit a question, topic, or guest suggestion for the chance for it to become our next podcast episode at www.bodyreadymethod.com slash podcast dash submit. See you next time.